Hello listeners, my name is Tashara and welcome to another episode of the LSE Focal Point podcast. Today I'm very excited to be joined by Marco Stacoli. Marco is a managing director within Jeffrey's Financial Institutions Group. He has over 15 years of experience in investment banking with previous positions in Credit Suisse and JP Morgan. He holds a master's degree in accounting and finance from the LSE. Marco, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Uh, it's a nice day, so it's, it's, uh, it's fine. That's great to hear. So to kick things off, let's talk a little bit more about you. Could you tell us more about your journey to becoming an MD at Jefferies? Sure. I mean, um, after my graduation at LSE in uh, 2005, I started working in, uh, at Deloitte in the financial services audit team in Rome for circa nine months. After that, I moved back to London to start working at Fox Pickleton, a small investment bank specialized in uh, transactions involving financial services companies. Um, then in uh, 2007, I got an offer from the FIC team of JP Morgan, where I stayed initially in London, then in Milan, until the end of 2014, uh, when I joined Credit Suisse. Uh, and now, uh, since uh, the end of September 2021, I'm part of the Jeffries team. Great, a very interesting journey. And, you know, sort of you're in the financial institutions group. What is it that drew you to FIG in particular? Look, to be honest with you, it all started by chance. Uh, when I joined Deloitte, I was assigned to the financial services practice and I liked it. On top, at that time, and I think also today, the fixed space was the most active industry and the place to be. That's great. And, you know, in general, FIG is known to be an industry group that is highly technical and is very analytically driven. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, could you explain how FIG is unique, particularly from a valuations perspective? Absolutely. I mean, it is analytically driven, highly regulated. The reporting is different from all other corporates. You don't have the ABDA in the PNL of a bank or, or an insurer. And finally, most of the time, clients are bankers and financial markets experts like you. So depending on the person, but for sure, FIG can be considered one of the most technically challenging and interesting group to work in. With, with respect to valuation, first of all, as I said before, most of the FIG clients, given their peculiar business model, do not report a BDA like the great majority of corporates. So to give you an example, Banks report net interest income, loan loans provisions, insurance companies report premiums and claims, but not the BDA. Then you have a number of industry-specific KPIs that drive the evaluation of these companies, like the common equity to one ratio for banks, the solvency ratio for insurers. So in line with what said, valuation techniques for fit clients are very industry-specific and different from those applied to the great majority of corporates. On top of these, subsectors within FIG has each sub, sorry, and on top of these, each subsector within FIG has its own peculiarities and approach. For example, I mean, in general, banks' fundamental valuation is based on DDM, a dividend discount model. Life insurance companies are valued through actuarial valuation techniques. 
while asset managers are valued with the DCF. This means that they, besides we said at the beginning, in order to be a good fig banker, you need to be knowledgeable on a number of themes and technical aspects for all these fig subsectors, which most of the time are based on complex rules and regulations that change over time. Great, and you know, sort of to learn more about what you do on a daily basis. I'm sure that no two days are alike, but could you tell us more about what a typical day would look like for you? True. Nowadays, my usual day starts at 6 a.m. And the first thing in the morning, I check the news. Uh, yes, even before breakfast or taking a shower. Uh, during the day, I have between 7 and 10 conference or video calls, of which uh, two or three are internal with colleagues to prepare materials, review analysis, get online. And they're remaining with clients in the context of uh, execution or a pitch for new mandates. Then on a weekly or a monthly basis, I attend a number of initiatives on diversity, mentoring, recruiting, training, and charity that uh, Jeffrey's organized. Pre-COVID, the situation was a little bit different since I used to travel at least twice a week. In some aspects, that was much more fun at least personally. On the other end, now few things are more efficient. Having said that, I think it's critical for the industry in particular for new junior bankers to be back to office, to attend physical meetings, to have coffee breaks with senior colleagues, and et cetera, et cetera. In other words, I believe that the human touch and the human relationships are essential and will continue to be essential in our job. Sounds like a lot of variety indeed. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about how when you first started off in investment banking, FIG was kind of the place to be and it still very much is. So what would you say are some of the most salient ways in which the FIG space has evolved from when you first started? With no doubt, I mean, technology has dramatically changed the way of doing business for banks and financial institutions in general. Just to give you an example, I mean, in early 2000, it was normal to spend an hour in a branch just to open an account, or it was normal to pay five euro for a bank transfer. While nowadays there are a number of disruptive FinTech players that are available only online, which means no physical branches, five minutes from your sofa to open an account, free of charge bank transfers, so all of this to say that the new technologies have pushed and are pushing financial institutions to reinvent themselves and their value proposition by investing billions in order to remain relevant to customers and competitive in the market. Definitely a lot of changes going on. And you know, you've kind of given us a, an overview of your career journey and sort of looking back through all these experiences that you've had, what is some advice that you would have given to your younger self with the knowledge that you have now? The first one is don't, don't be afraid to try, to have new experiences and to go beyond your comfort zone. This means uh, to relocate, for example, one or two years in Asia or US, to have rotation in different divisions of the bank, or to spend some time in different sectors or, or industries. I mean, in other words, just do maximize the opportunities to learn new concepts and to meet new people. 
I think that's definitely some great advice that we can all apply. And, you know, I'm sure you've worked on a lot of very interesting deals, but what has been your favorite one so far and why? Frankly, I don't have a preferred deal. I still, I still remember all of them and the people I met during this transaction. But if you want me to choose, the first one is the takeover of UBI from into Sao Paulo in 2020. We were defense advisor of UBI. It was a super intense and visible deal with many parties involved, a lot of press coverage in Italy and internationally. We spent days and nights working nonstop with the management team in a period when Italy, and in particular Brescia and Bergamo, where UBI had its headquarters, was dramatically impacted by COVID pandemic. The second one is the sale of a, by Assicurazioni Generali of BSI, a Swiss private bank, to BTG Pactual, a Brazilian financial institution. We were self-side advisor of Assicurazioni Generali. BSI had global activities and received interest from a variety of potential buyers from all over the world. It was a very long process with never-ending meetings in Lugano, negotiations in Zurich, signed visit in Asia. So it was extremely exciting for, for a junior VP. Some great deals. And you know, let's talk a little bit more about sort of the industry in general. One thing that has caught everyone's attention in the past few months is sort of this incredible wave of M&A activity. How long do you foresee this behavior continuing? Look, the demand side of the M&A market is flush with capital. In addition to PE and venture capital having record amounts of drive power, many companies have plenty of cash on it. Plus, SPACs will continue to look for targets during the next 12, 18 months. So 2022 should be an interesting year from an M&A perspective, probably not at the same levels of 2021, but still interesting. In some industries, companies negatively affected by the pandemic will use disposal to raise cash to repay their debts. In other industries, companies will continue to use M&A to consolidate the sector, for example, in the banking industry. In other cases, M&A will be a tool for addressing the convergence of this or different sectors, such as technology and financial services. Or other companies will likely use M&A to make their portfolio more appealing from an uh, ECG perspective. So at the end, M&A over the medium and the long term remains and will remain an essential factor for growth. That's great. And I think uh, something that you mentioned was SPACs. And you know, many companies have chosen to go, through, go public through alternative methods such as SPACs or direct listings. Once again, you know, is this something that you think is sort of a temporary reaction or sort of more of a fundamental paradigm shift? Look, last two years have been record years for SPAC IPOs and for these SPAC transactions. SPAC market will most likely remain fluid and dynamic, but at the same time, it might need to evolve and to address a number of challenges, such as increasing regulatory scrutiny, increasing competition to find attractive targets, et cetera, et cetera. So this means that while most likely SPACs will continue to be a major asset class for the foreseeable future and to provide an attractive avenue to bring private companies public, it might be harder for some sponsor to get deals done. 
However, I mean, for those investors who undertake the proper due diligence and align themselves with the strong uh, sponsorship teams, Spazzo will continue to be an interesting investment proposition. So, you know, you discussed earlier about how uh, fintech has been something that has really evolved the fixed space since you started in banking. What would you say are some of the trends that are really taking off in the near future? As you correctly said, a number of interesting initiatives have emerged in the fintech space, in banking, payment, insurance. In the future, we will probably see more and more marketplace banks, more and more new super apps, and a number of uh, new cross-industry partnerships, all aimed at meeting the demands and needs of billions of connected consumers. That's great. And, you know, sort of another trend that has really taken off is buy now, pay later. What would you say are the challenges and opportunities that will arise as this continues to proliferate? By now, pay later is one of the hottest trends in the financial services and retail segment today, attracting resources and innovation in many countries. Large technology, FIG, and fintech companies are extending their products further into B and PL. Apple recently announced it was having a pay later feature to its mobile wallet. PayPal already started to offer this product to its client and some of the biggest banks and card providers worldwide are moving to it as well. So the sector is becoming highly competitive on the one end and on the other end, given all this activity, demand and growth, it will most likely become more and more regulated. Winners in the buy now, pay later space will be companies able to combine strong consumer management relationships into a robust value proposition and business model. Definitely a lot of interesting developments that have been going on, and this is something that we've discussed. So sort of in light of this, how do you think that investment banking as an industry will change in the coming years? I'm sure that part of the investment banking will change particularly in sales, trading, and capital markets activity, thanks to new technology. Having said that, I strongly believe that in our job are human beings that make the difference. Take, for example, advisory. Clients will continue to choose people they trust rather than efficient machines. Definitely. At the end of the day, it really is a people business. And, you know, you gave us some great advice earlier about what you would say to your younger self. To sort of wrap things up, is there any advice that you'd like to give to university students? Yeah, it might seem obvious, but my strongest advice is don't be afraid to try. First of all, to understand what you really like and where you can make the difference. And then, because the more experiences you have, the more you will be a value added for your company, your colleagues and community. That's great advice that we can all apply. I'm sure that our listeners appreciate your insights and can take a lot away from this episode. It has been a pleasure having you here today and thank you for taking the time to speak with us. And thank you to our audience for listening and stay tuned for more episodes to come. Thank you.